0: day. So today is special for a few reasons, right? So one, I think we'd like to welcome back the studious young adults from camp. You know, when you're missing, right, there's less bustle. There's uh, definitely a hole that is missing. And uh, we are uh, very appreciative of your Uh, coming back and being with us. I hope that you learned a lot about yourself and you built relationships. One of the key things of being a Christian is you learn that you don't do this battle alone. You have to have relationships. And I uh, am grateful that you are all back. We're very excited. We will have a Camp Sunday next Sunday when the kids come back. The younger, tender-aged children. That's what they call it in the health department. Oh. Uh, OK, so number two, why is today special? Well, today is Juneteenth, oh, yeah. Emancipation Day. And it would be a disservice if I didn't talk about it. Oh. You know, we, we here in the United States, uh, so the Emancipation Proclamation, right? That insta- installed on January first, 1863. Uh, Abraham Lincoln did that and said, we are all equal. Yes. We are not going to have slaves. Yes. So on June 19, 1865, two years later, the last slave was freed in Galveston, Texas. Yeah. So of all these years, we recognize the trailblazers, yes. the Martin Luther King Jr.'s, yes. the Opal Lees, the yes. people that got us to where we are now. Now, there is a lot of work to be done. Right. We see every day that black Americans are treated unfairly, yes. and they still are to this day. Yep. And while we as Christians love our diversity, right. we want everyone to be equal, there's still a lot of work right. to be done. Yep. Happy Juneteenth. Happy yep. Juneteenth. Today is Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to the dads out there, to the stepdads, to the father figures, to the people whose lives that you are in every day and mold them and change them. We are grateful for you. Happy Father's Day. Now, I recognize that Father's Day can be difficult for some people. I recognize that there are people who grew up without a physical father, that there was abandonment, maybe alcoholism, maybe abuse, something that makes Father's Day difficult for you. And I see you, and we see you. And I want you to know That while I do have a Father's Day centered message today, it is not based on a physical father, it is based on our father in heaven. And so I do want you to know that I do see you, you are going to hear a little bit about my life because it's interesting. And so I do understand, (laughs) I understand where some of that hurt comes from. And while it's a little bit different, you will see why. But let's say a prayer for those people and for our service. Dear God, thank you for being our Father. Thank you for being compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. We are grateful for you. God, I pray for the people who have struggled with Father's Day. who who see it more as a hurtful day than a day of rejoicing, please wrap your arms around them. Please be with them. God, be with the fathers, the father figures. Be with them and love them. God, we pray for a service. I pray that you're able to speak through me, that we can have and enjoy this service together and that it is encouraging to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so today we're going to do a story. We're going to do a story in a Bible that you're probably all very well aware of. It is the prodigal son, the lost son. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 15, and we're not leaving there. So, I'll be reading from the NLT version, so if you have a fancy little Bible app that you can uh, change the notation so that it reads along with mine, that is the version I will be reading from. Uh, I have a slide, if you could put that up. Okay, so it's difficult to see, but that's okay. This is a Rembrandt painting So, I am not a teacher, but I am a nerd, and those go hand in hand. So, this is a Rembrandt. A lot of you have probably heard of him. He is a painter in the 17th century. This was one of his last paintings that he ever painted. It was done in 1669, also the year that he passed away. there are some interesting things on this, and mind you, it's artist interpretation, but hey, let's, let's point out some interesting things. So the son is here in the father's arms, the prodigal son, the lost son. You'll notice his sandals are broken, he's dirty. It's hard to see, but he actually still has a knife on the side of his belt, uh, probably to fight off all the people out there because there was a famine, which we'll read about here shortly. You have the brother on the right, with the folded arms, kind of looking, eh, irritated. One of the most interesting and debated things on this painting, and it might be hard to see, but you can look it up if you're interested, if you'll notice the father's hands. His left hand looks thicker, it looks manly, masculine. His right hand, feminine, longer fingers you'll notice that there's a feminine hand and a masculine hand. And the reason why is because God assumes both roles. And it's an interesting interpretation to that. Um, Rembrandt is my favorite painter. His, he painted this, the, the Storm on the Sea of Galilee. If you've never seen it, you should look it up. It is truly amazing. It was one of the paintings that got stolen in 1990 in Boston. Uh, There is a Netflix documentary about it. But so Rembrandt does a lot of Christian-centered paintings. And so I just wanted you to kind of see that as we go into the story. So Luke 15, and it starts in verse 11. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money and wild living. About the time the money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and he sent, and I'm sorry, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger." And you, I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals on his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and asked one of the servants, What is going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I was born in 1983, in December, on the 20th day, to two parents. Uh, They were both very young, 19 years old. I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and my biological mother said, ah, I don't want any part of this, and so she left. I was raised my entire life by a single dad who was young, who was trying to figure out what he wanted to do when he grew up. And I was kind of a holding back factor because, well, you got a son at 19, Uh, it becomes very difficult. So uh, we lived with my grandmother for uh, quite a few years before my dad was finally able to save up enough money, and we moved into a small uh, apartment. There we lived uh, up until I was about 16 years old, and um, we moved to different apartments um, and just lived a very uh, lowly lifestyle because that's uh, what happens when uh, you have a 19-year-old dad. And so growing up, I always had the youngest dad. I, Mother's Day was very difficult for me, as Father's Day is for some. Mine is the other way around. Mother's Day has always been something that is difficult for me to comprehend, because I lived uh, only with a single dad. I didn't learn a lot about girls. I didn't learn a lot about emotions, and so all those things kind of catapulted into uh, where I kind of went astray, and you'll hear about that as well. But growing up with a single dad, you know, Father's Day for me is great because he was always there. He sacrificed a lot, and it's one of those more unique situations of having that. And like all my friends growing up, they, you know, had two parents or they had a single mom. I was the only one for my my whole life growing up that had a single dad. And it was kind of an interesting uh, way to live. Now, this story is interesting because we don't see a mother figure. We see a father, much like how we have Rembrandt that painted two roles. And that may play in a creative interpretation a role on maybe why he had left. But often in this story, we're asked one of two things, which son are you, right? Are you the prodigal son? Uh, maybe, Maybe he didn't like dad's rules. Maybe it was too much for him. Maybe he didn't like an older brother that was too righteous, showed him up. So what does he do? Well, he asks for his inheritance, and he goes off and he lives a wild life. And we read a little bit about that in the story, of the things he was involved in. And so he's lost. And often we're asked, is that you? Are you uh, lost? Are you involved in bad things? Do you have shame? Do you just want to go off and do your own thing? The second question we're often asked is, are you the good son? Are you the one that has been around for a long time, been doing your own thing, uh, but following all the rules? Right, You're, you're kind of coasting. And you have this pride of, man, I follow the rules. I do this stuff. I know what I'm doing. Do you grumble instead of rejoice? right? Do you get irritated when people come back or things like that? Are you the good son? So this lesson isn't focused on either of those two very popular questions, because there's three vantage points from this story. I think the real lessons that we learn from this story, they come from the father. They come from how he treated. I think the first thing that we see with the father is that he respects his son's need to make his own decisions. And I think that's an interesting quality. It doesn't say he respects his decision. I'm just saying that it it respects his need to make his own decisions. So we hear the term free will, right? We hear that term a lot. And what is that? Well, what does that mean? It means that God allows us to make our own decisions. And we see that in this story, and we see it in our own life. Now, in my creative interpretation of this story, and it's good and healthy to do, I imagine that the father tried to reason with his son. I imagine that there was a conversation. We don't read about it in the Bible, but we know that as a fatherly figure, I imagine he wasn't just like, okay, go. Here's your stuff. I imagine that there was real dialogue, right? Are you, do you want to do this? I've been down this road before. I don't want you to do this. But ultimately, at the end, he allows him to make that choice and respects the decision. He doesn't beat him up. He doesn't call him names. He doesn't throw things or yell at him. And, and the question is, is, how can we model that in our own lives? You know, we see people make bad decisions every day, and we see it in our own lives. And while we don't, we, what we want to do is we want to respect their decisions and do what we can to kind of have that creative dialogue that I imagine, imagine that the father had with his son. The second thing that we learned is the father never gave up hope. He was patient. And he did it knowing that his son willfully went down the wrong path. Well, how do we know that? Well, he saw him from a long way off. And if you see him from a long way off, what does that mean? That means that you're probably looking. You're probably out there looking. Now, He's patient. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. So we aren't dismissing the feelings that he is feeling, but he does have hope and patience. Do we have this kind of hope and patience? The interesting thing is is that it talks about a famine. Well, we know at least based on that, that it was probably a long time. How long does it take for a famine to hit, cause all the food to disappear, and then him becoming starving and coming to his senses? How long is that? It's not a week-long bender. Months? Maybe. Years? A decade? It doesn't say. But think about it. How long does it take for a famine to ravish a land? Probably takes a long time. That's up to you to think about. Do we have patience for our children who want to become disciples? Do we have patience for our adult children who have chosen another path? Do we have patience for our coworkers, our friends, our family, and everything in between? You know, there's a lot, you know, and, and that includes people we like and people we don't like. Right. All right, let me give you some hope on that particular part. So I grew up in the church. I was part of the church for a long time. I decided to leave in my 20s. Uh, in my 20s, I decided this wasn't the life for me. I went back on my promise to God, and I went and I lived that exact life that you read in the Bible. I destroyed lives. I was terrible to my own body and to my own self, and I committed a lot of pain and destruction throughout. I went two years without speaking to my parents, um, and I have a very good relationship with my parents, but I was just such in a bad place that I didn't talk to them. It was about two Actually, it might have actually been closer to three years. Didn't talk to him not once. Did, that's three Christmases, three birthdays I didn't respond to. That's three ev- Thanksgivings I didn't go to. I didn't. I didn't want anything to do with him. And um, I, I continued this lifestyle up in, into my 30s. I, for over 10 years, I. Lived with different people. I did a bunch of terrible things, and I can tell you about those things another day. But what I'm telling you is that my parents never lost hope. My dad, especially, he always talked to me. He would always, you know, when I, after three years, I started talking to him more. I started, you know, showing up a little bit. I went to a dinner here or there. And our relationship started building, and I started opening up about things, and and it took, what, 12, 13 years. So 13 years I was out in the world. My parents, they did everything. My dad remarried when I was 19, and or my dad married when I was 19, so I have a stepmom that I call her mom now. But so they tried everything to just get me involved. They didn't invite me to church. They didn't say, oh, you got to come to the Easter service. They just called and checked in. They invited me over for dinner. And year after year after year after year after 13 years, I decided that I wanted to live this life. And so that, I hope, gives you a little bit of hope. Maybe you have an adult child out there living that life. That doesn't mean they are gone forever. I am living proof of that. Yeah. Does not mean that your parents, your aunts and uncles, your coworkers, your friends? It doesn't mean that they're gone forever. Right. Just means that we have to have that relationship, yes. and we have to have hope, right. and we have to have patience. Right. That we learn from the Father. Right. Come on. You know, a third thing that we learn from the Father is that. The father doesn't run after his son. He runs to meet him. His son made his decision. And you do not see the father chasing him down, saying, no, 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 grabbing his tunic and dragging him back in the house. I just don't see that. One, probably not healthy. But two is that that goes back to respecting his decision but knowing that he has hope and patience and he does eventually come back, he runs to meet him. Which is interesting. Again, I'm not a teacher, but elderly Jewish males didn't run. That's not a thing. Like, they don't pull up their tunic and run to their kid down the... That's shameful. That's yep. that's ridiculous is yeah. the word. Um, and so God... Uh, shames himself to run to meet you when you deserve or when you decide to come back and repent to him. And that tells me that no matter how far out there you might be, God allows you turns. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how far you are. One of the biggest things Satan can do is just sit on your past and your regrets and say, hey, I see you laying in bed 11 at night, and you got to be up at 7 a.m. Do you remember when you did this right. Right. 15 years ago? Yeah. And you do. And that's one of the biggest things that Satan just holds on to is your regrets. Right. Yeah. Your regrets. And so you can make a decision to come home. You can make that U-turn if no matter how far we get out there and Uh, I've gotten out there pretty far. That's for sure. But he always welcomes you back. There are no grudges held by the Father. He doesn't challenge him and say, what did you do? What are the specific intricacies of your sin? Doesn't ask that. There are no questions about that. We see repentance and we see compassion i think lastly uh and i find this the hardest of all the things is that i see the father is forgiving but not the kind of forgiving where you say oh i forgive you and then you go off and you still think about it for the next three weeks it's the kind of forgiveness that we are called to have. It's the forgive. Doesn't tell us to forget it, but he does tell us to forgive them wholly mm-hmm. to know that uh, we as humans make mistakes. Yeah. We as humans make wrong decisions. We as humans do all these things. Right. And God forgives us. Yeah. Yeah. That's often the hardest part about being a Christian. Right. And... Uh, I, in my life, there are people in my life that don't like me. And while I won't go into a lot of detail about that, I think that I have to learn to forgive. It's hard to forgive people when you know that like there's this disdain, like that they just don't like you. And that for me is one of the hardest things to do, but we do see it in the Bible, in this story. That grudge is easier to hold on to than it is to say, I forgive you. Easy to hold on to it. I like to sit there and think about that. Pop up at 11 p.m. at night, ma'am. I don't want to think about my past regrets, but I sure don't like you. Think about all the different ways where I had a conversation with them and should have said this and I should have said that. I do. I have those all the time. And so, you know, this, we've been in a series, and I kind of went rogue a little bit, and I got permission from Ethan, if you needed a specific name, but it's all about being chosen, right? That's what we've been talking about. Well, here is uh, four reasons why, on how you were chosen, right? Um, By a God respecting your need to make choices. By a God who never gives up hope, even though we make the wrong choices and take the wrong path. By a God who necessarily doesn't run after you, but will always run to meet you. And by a God who is forgiving. Yeah, yeah. That's how you are chosen. That is being chosen by God. Those four things right there. Okay. So, let's start the transition to communion. So, I have a story for you. Kelsey and I, last week, we rented a van. It was a 15-passenger van, and we drove down, uh, I think it was 11 people. It was Joey and then uh, the teens for the camp. We left at like 8 in the morning, and we drove them down there, and it was actually a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. We get down there at 1.30, Uh, a little bit early, and we get everyone situated. We were probably there till about 3.30, getting everyone set up in their camp and making sure they knew where they were going, all that fun stuff. Okay. So this is where the story kind of (laughs) changes. But let me preempt you. My biggest... Struggle and failure as a Christian and as a human is I, and Kelsey will tell you, I am very, very negative. I see impossible situations way bigger than I see God. I do. I see impossible situations bigger than I see God. So we. Kelsey and I jump into our van, and we start leaving. There are two ways in and out of Eagle Resort. There is the main entrance, and then there's this little side way that you can go. Cuts off about 20 minutes. True dad here, right? We want to cut off 20 minutes of our time. Absolutely. So when we get there, to the very end, literally the highway. So we're about eight miles out, right? So you leave, and you're going about about six to eight miles through all these little gravel roads. And I got to the very end. Literally, the highway is a 100 yards right there. The bridge is out. The bridge is out. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I say, uh-oh, because it's a one-lane gravel road with barbed wire fences on both sides. So I had to go in reverse about a mile just to find a place to turn around. So we do. Kelsey was nervous. I was flying backwards, doing 30. She was freaking out. But hey, that's what we were doing. So about a mile, we stop. We were able to turn around. As I'm making a left turn out of there, my back tire gets stuck. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. So I try to get out of it. You do the rock, right? I'm reverse, drive, reverse, drive, trying to rock out of this sinking gravel. It was literally like quicksand. The reason why the bridge was out is because it had flooded, it was flooding real bad out there. So all that gravel's very soft. And what ended up happening was I buried it so bad and so quickly that the spare tire underneath the rear axle, it was sitting on it. So now I have no power to my rear wheels. So let's recap. Kelsey and I are out there, right? We're six to eight miles outside of camp. It's 102 degrees, we have no water because we were just gonna stop at the gas station. And we are in the middle of nowhere. Kelsey uh, basically was already lightheaded, like it was that hot. And so we get out, and we start looking. Can we dig ourselves out? Kelsey was like, let's just dig out. And I'm kind of looking at it. I don't want to dismiss her, because I I want her to know that I will listen to your ideas. And so we tried to dig it out for about 20 minutes, 15, and couldn't get it out. At this point, we... We were stuck. And not only that, but we were a long ways off. And I was like, what do we do? Do we walk? It's all uphill. Uh, Kelsey was already feeling lightheaded. I, we had no water. It was quite a trek to get it back. And I'm like, this is not good. Do we stay here and wait? Yeah, no one's coming this way. Like, I should have known better. We are there for about 20 minutes, and lo and behold, here comes this old guy in his little John Deere two-seater with his dying dog. No joke. And he's like driving, and here he comes, and he's rolling right up. And I'm like, Kelsey, you see this? He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> Pulls up. He gets out. I explained to him what's happening. Didn't want him to think I was trying to steal his cows or anything if that was why he was there. He was like, oh, yeah, the bridge is out. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. So he says, okay, I know a guy about a mile up the road. Let me go talk to him. I get a tractor. You're going to have to get pulled out. said, awesome, cool. He leaves. He's gone for about 20, 25 minutes, and he comes back empty-handed. Didn't work out. Couldn't get a hold of him or something. And so uh, we asked him if he would (laughs) drive us all the way back to camp in his little two-seater, and he was like, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, it, it was very small. Literally, the dog sat on his lap, right? Kelsey sat on mine, and we drove uphill in this little green Me, me, me. I mean, it was, it was a miracle. At the end of the day, and, that, and, and so we get back, and Shannon Sylvie had his forerunner, and he had a tow rope, and he was able to pull us out. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Shannon. Yeah, that. Hey, who we applaud? We're applauding Shannon Sylvie. We appreciate you. So we ended up getting home at about 11 instead of 7, and it was crazy. Okay. So interesting story to share for communion, I know. I think the interesting thing about it, though, is that, um, you know, God loves us, right? And if you, maybe you don't believe in miracles, but that, what happened to Kelsey and I was a miracle. Yeah. It was a miracle that this guy, who lives in Tulsa, happened to just be on part of his land, who he's not usually there, just driving with his dog, giving him a a view of the cattle. It was a miracle. That shouldn't have happened. And so, um, you know, God, he loves us. And he gives us great examples of how he loves us. But the greatest example of that is his son dies on a cross. Mm -hmm. He dies on a cross to save us, so that we can hear the stories like this and live like the Father in the story. And he saves us by dying on the cross for us. And he saves us each day by little miracles that you just really got to pay attention to. Because what, what happened to Kelsey and I was a miracle. And if you ignore those little things, or if you just don't pay attention... You're going to miss out on not only the cross and how God does that, but just how he saves you each and every single day. Amen. Amen. Let's say a prayer and take communion. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for being our Father. God, I pray I pray that I personally can understand that you respect my need to make choices, that you never give up hope even though I make the wrong choice, that you are a God who meets me and you are a God who is forgiving and compassionate. God, I pray that we see those things, that we can implement those into our lives with the people we love, with the people we struggle with loving, and everyone in between. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for dying on a cross for us so that we can be saved and celebrate this type of thing together. God, thank you for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.